Hey, it's David Summers. Welcome in. It's a special studcast. Ron's tribute to Terry Funk. The wrestling world lost a legend and a Hall of Famer this week. Terry Funk died in a hospital near Phoenix at the age of 79. Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee stud, has wrestled Terry Funk probably 10 times and literally been around the world with Terry Funk. And Ron, you were saying that as we record this on this day, you've known Terry Funk for 50 years exactly. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, actually. Uh, and, uh, uh, kind of odd, man, uh, how this all went down. Uh, so on August 23rd, uh, 2023, Terry Funk, man, one of the greatest wrestlers that ever lived, uh, Obviously, everybody knows what's happened now, and he's gone. He's not with us anymore. But in my opinion, he left a legacy that will never be duplicated. Uh, to me, Terry was so much more than just a wrestler. He was a personal friend for 50 years. Uh, and he was one of the most unusual characters I have ever met. And I bet there's probably a hundred more wrestlers who would say the same thing about him than you know, about his being an unbelievable character. So growing up in the sport, I'd heard about his father, Dory Sr., his brother, Dory, Dory Jr., and uh, obviously about Jr.'s crazy little brother, Terry Funk. You know, and I'm doing this special tribute uh, uh, on the day after Terry died. Uh, and gosh, this is an amazing story here, but it is, it is very true. And uh, people can look it up to just, uh, just uh, if they can't believe it. Exactly 50 years ago from this day is the day I met Terry Funk for the first time in person. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's amazing, man. Uh, and it was on a Friday night, August the 24th, 1973. I was in St. Louis, Missouri, the home of the National Wrestling Alliance president, Sam Muchnick. I was only 25 years old. And, uh, and I was going to be, on that night, the youngest wrestler ever to be in a main event in the legendary Keel Auditorium at 25 years old. Uh, and I was wrestling against the former NWA world champion, Gene Koninsky, for the Missouri championship belt that Koninsky had. Uh, I was in a dressing room by myself. Uh, and, you know, I had never met Terry, but I knew of his family and all this. But I'm in a dressing room by myself. Uh, Keel Auditorium was a massive complex. It had, a, it had a, a concert hall on one side and then a building that held more than 10,000 on the other side. <laughs> so uh, I was in the catacombs of this building down below in the basement area. And uh, I was in a dressing room by myself. Uh, and I had uh, butterflies in my stomach, you know, because uh, – I was headed into a darn big match uh, for a 25-year-old, uh, uh, truly amazing to be doing what I was going to be doing that night. So, uh, and uh, somewhere in this back of this building, uh, butterflies in my stomach, all keyed up, uh, about to wrestle the biggest match uh, so far in my three-year career at that point. You know, and uh, when I looked up, there standing in the doorway to my dressing room was Terry Funk. Hmm. Now, Terry was four years older than me, uh, and, and he was already a huge star in the sport at this point, you know. And he introduced himself, and he sat down in a chair across from me. And, uh, you know, 
He knew what was on the card because when you went into Keel Auditorium, they, they passed you out a program. Everybody got a program. You got to see who all was on the card. And there were stars from all over the country. It was the greatest place you could wrestle was in St. Louis's Keel Auditorium. And so uh, he knew who was on the card already. And uh, he knew I was in the main event. And, uh, and they obviously knew how anxious, man, I had to be about what was ahead for me that night. Uh, you know, so so he knew a great deal about my family's history in the sport. He started out, we just talked. Uh, and uh, we talked about how similar our lives were, which they really were. We both had one brother, and they wrestled. Uh, we both grew up with a father that was a professional wrestler. And, uh, you know, we both talked about how difficult that was, being young boys, and your daddy was a wrestler, and you, you had to be tough, or you're supposed to be tough to... We talked about my opponent for that night and his reputation for being stiff, you know, and he had already learned. He'd already learned that, uh, Terry, you know. He'd ha already wrestled uh, Gene Koninsky many times. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he knew I was about to find out for myself what that was going to be all about. And, uh, and he had actually told me the story of watching his brother, Dory Sr., beat Koninsky for the NWA world title. So basically, Terry went out of his way to come and find me and sit down with me and help me calm my nerves. And, and I thought afterward, what a great person he was for doing that. I mean, it was very, very thoughtful of him. First time I ever met him. And that conversation that we had that night set us up for one of the closest relationships I ever had in the sport. I had no idea. Eight days later, this is pretty freaky too. Eight days later, after this night I'm wrestling, <laughs> I'm going to come back to St. Louis for the television, and I'm going to, for the first time ever, wrestle Terry Funk on TV. Whoa. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's a strange, it's a strange story, but uh, boy, it's all there. I mean, it's history, and people can look it up. I saw Terry in the Florida Territory. That's where I lived at that point in 1973, and it's where I worked uh, several times after that. And uh, he and his brother, they came to Florida Territory. They were stars there. Man. They were stars wherever they went. I mean, it didn't make any difference what state it was, what part of the country, or what part of the world. And the next time I wrestled him was going to be three, la three years later, on October 10, 1976. And by this point, I had got my own territory, and we were going to be wrestling in my southeastern territory. We were going to be wrestling for the NWA world title that he <laughs> held. And I, I learned as time went on that Terry had a unique style in the ring. And uh, no two matches with Terry Funk were ever the same. You never knew what to expect, and that was what made him so unique and totally different. Wow. So... That was the first match. Is there anything special, anything that stands out? How about butterflies for that first match? What 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 stands out or what what is there about that you really remember that you'll never forget? Oh, Jason, uh, you know, I mean, obviously it's an NWA World Championship match. It's in a sold-out Coliseum. Uh, and it was one of the first sellouts we ever had in the Coliseum. Uh, tremendous crowd. Uh, you know, and uh, so, so the the thing I remember about Terry is uh, I went to the ring first, and mm -hmm. Terry he's the champion. So you don't go 
you don't, uh, you know, you go first. I mean, right. the, cha- yeah. the champion is the champion, and he deserves the spotlight in the end. Yeah. And Terry came out of the back of the Coliseum with the big black curtain is that I talk about all the time in Studcast, and he took he took ten minutes. It seemed like to get to the ring. I've heard you tell this story on one of your studcasts. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just he just stopped as soon as they started to the boo. He stopped, and then uh, <laughs> he would look around around the whole building, and then he would walk ten steps. They would boo again. He would stop. I thought he would never get to the ring. <laughs> And then he got to the ring, and when we they made the announcement, they announced us both. And then we came to the middle of the ring. The referee checked us to see that we were clean. And uh, and then he said, okay, uh, they rang the bell. Uh, I turned to go back to the corner. I was going to turn to go back to the corner. And he says to me, now, and this was very strange, but the match was, you knew it was going to be a tremendous match because the building was standing up when they rang the bell to start the match. Wow. I mean, it, they were, they were ready. And, uh, and he said to me, he says, uh, uh, don't, don't go back to the corner. He goes, uh, he, and he, and he walked up and got right in my face. Hmm. And, uh, and he said to me, uh, back up mm-hmm. and, oh, you know, I mean, uh, I'm so fired up. Uh, I, this is a big moment. Uh, you know, I didn't know where this was headed, right? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, so I, I hesitated. I didn't want to back up. I'm like, no, this is my town. I mean, no. I, and then he says, back up. And then finally I uh, took a step back. And then he stepped right up in my face again. Back up. I took another step back. The building started to, you could just hear the fans beginning to, rumble it's like wow what the heck's going on here Mm -hmm. and then he backed me all the way slowly into my corner and uh then he said uh all right step forward and i backed him across the ring Uh, he had been probably in the building in the ring we'd been in there or him trying to get there we're probably 15 minutes in and we hadn't touched each other (laughs) by the time i backed him into his corner he stepped out of the ring, and that building exploded. You could cut it with a knife. That's that's, and you haven't even touched each other yet. Yeah, haven't we? Haven't touched. You know, and wow, uh, wow. So that was the beginning of the match. The match was a tremendous match, uh, and at the end of it, uh, we had we had a uh, an ending in which. Uh, the referee got the referee got bumped out of the ring. Uh, then uh, Terry came running at me. He, I, I ducked him. He went over my shoulder. Uh, the referee came back into the ring. I was still in the ring. Terry came into the ring. Uh, I, I jackknifed him, and uh, the referee counted him out. But uh, the referee that had been out on the floor, the second referee came down, hmm. and he came down. They raised my hand. They handed me the world title, the belt. And uh, that building was going absolutely crazy. The second referee conferred with the first one and then uh, pantomime to the crowd know that I threw Terry over the top rope. (laughs) But he had really gone over my head 
and, uh, and, and went out on his own. So uh, they took the belt away from me, okay? And at this point, uh, Ronnie Garvin and I had uh, been vying for who was going to get this championship match. Ronnie Garvin came down to the ring, and uh, uh, I think uh, I put the uh, toehold on Terry, uh, and then uh, Ronnie Garvin stomped me off, and he jumped off in my throat about four or five times. Mm. Mm -mm. Uh, crowd was so mad, so upset that uh, they came rushing to the ring. They, there was no way for them to get out of the ring. Terry couldn't get out. The referee couldn't get out. Ronnie couldn't get out. Wow. You know, because the crowd was just right there at the ringside. Uh, then Ronnie kind of forced his way, got a little people back for enough space that Terry could get out with him. Uh, Terry told me later on, he says, Ronnie was the most scared, one of the most scared I've ever been. He goes, I thought <laughs> they were going to get us. Uh, you know, so uh, that's the way that uh, first match with him went down. How did things go with Terry like after the match? What was that like? Well, you know, I got sent to the hospital. Okay. You know, I went to the hospital. Uh, I still have a, a knot on my throat where Garvin uh, jumped off the top rope and it that still bothers me 40 years later, 50 years later. It's a but uh, so I got carried to the hospital. I didn't actually get to see Terry, but uh, later on, he contacted me and he told me kind of like the Harley Race story. When I first paid Harley on this big crowd that is going to happen uh, six months after this match, I'm going to be wrestling Harley for the world title. And uh, Harley said, uh, got the money. And he said, Ron, uh, I'll come work for you anytime. You know, I. And uh, Terry's told me the same thing. Ron, gosh, I, I, I never, I ne that, what a great payoff you gave me, you know? So, uh, so that was a great, great thing to happen, you know? And uh, so uh, he's going to go on uh, be, to become a star, Terry, in southeastern Knoxville. Uh, he probably made in six, five or six, maybe even seven more matches. And none of them as world champion because he had lost the title to Harley Race. But he was over in Knoxville, unbelievable. I mean, the fans were crazy for Terry Funk. He was absolutely a phenom there. And uh, so, and then, oddly enough, I never booked Terry in the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory. And looking back on it now, I, I regret it, you know. I think before I came there and bought, bought the uh, former owners out, I think Terry worked in the South, in uh, the Gulf Coast Territory a couple of times. You know, but I'm not sure he ever did, but uh, they never got to see Terry Funk down there. And I really regretted that uh, because, uh, you know, Terry was just, he was spectacular. Wow. So my next encounter with Terry was uh, when he called me. Uh, him and his brother were on the phone and they called me in 1983. This was years later. And he said, Ron, we want to invite you to come to Japan. Uh, we have a tournament there once a year. It's three weeks long. It's a tag team tournament. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, he says it, it, all the, everything sells out. It's a, it's one of the biggest things of the year. And he goes, uh, we have a partner for you if you want to come. And that's going to be Barry Wyndham. So, uh, I jumped at the opportunity, uh, not just, uh, I, I would, I always thought Barry Wyndham was a great wrestler, uh, you know, and uh, 
But then I really wanted to spend more time with Terry. I wanted to have an opportunity to spend more time with Terry. So I arrived in Tokyo on November 24th, 1983. I was uh, right about, uh, you know, I was absolutely right about maybe being able to spend more time with Terry. I found out on the very first trip that the entire crew traveled together every day on the tour. So, uh, you know, and the first trip we made was on the bullet train to Osaka, Japan. So, uh, you know, once we got into the train station, uh, it was like crazy. You know, I found out how quickly uh, and how popular the Funk Brothers were in that country. I mean... Everybody in the crew, uh, we we were we were all blown away. Me and uh, Barry, particularly, it's his first trip too. Uh, by the, how the fans just mobbed Junior and Terry, it was they were like movie stars. Wow, you know, yeah, and uh, and they entertained the Japanese like they were movie stars. <laughs> Entertain them. I, I, elaborate a little bit on that. Tell us a little bit more about how the Funk Brothers entertain the Japanese. What kind of stuff did they do? Well, they were crazy, man. Uh, you know, they had been there for so many years. Uh, and everywhere they went, everybody just focused on them. And they 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 watched them continuously. So the first play, first uh, time we were that I saw them do something really crazy is we got on an airplane. And, uh, and then on the airplane... Uh, Terry went up to the front of the plane, sat in the first class area, and Junior went toward the back of the plane. And I couldn't figure out what the heck is that all about, you know? Why ain't they sitting together, you know? And they certainly could afford a ticket or wherever they wanted to sit. But uh, when the plane landed, then uh, Terry jumps up in the front of the plane. They both wore cowboy hats, you know? They were recognized as cowboys. And uh, so uh, Terry gets up on the front of the plane and everybody's standing up to start to get their bags in in overhead compartment. And uh, Terry looks up and he starts screaming back to the back of the plane to Junior. He goes, Junior, I can't find my cowboy hat. Right. So (laughs) all the Japanese are like, oh, they're all scared to death. Right. Here's these two Americans having a conversation from one end of the plane to the other. Right. And uh, and Junior says, well, look, keep looking, Terry, keep looking, you know, and then uh, everybody. So then (laughs) Terry gets all the Japanese (laughs) to start looking for his cowboy hat. Right. In the overhead compartment. So they're they're searching through the cowboy, looking for the cowboy hat, and uh, Terry slides off the plane. Nobody even sees him leave, right? And now we're all, <laughs> the rest of us, we can't get off the plane because all the Japanese are trying to find Terry's hat, right? And uh, Terry's even gone, right? So it's like, what is this all about? So then we finally get the Japanese to go on and get their, get their bags and get off. We go down to the luggage, and the luggage has the old day. This was an 83, but they were way ahead of us in Japan with a lot of things. They were on the luggage rack that would go around and rotate it all around. And uh, so the first bag that came out of the, the back part, the baggage part, was Terry Funk laying on his back with his, air, with his cowboy hat over his face. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he went two or three times all around. The, he never got off the deal. And, he, so the, and all the Japanese were just great. They were just laughing like, oh, my, this is great. Funniest thing we've ever seen, right? You know, so, uh, so that's, that's kind of one of, one of the stories that, that, that happened. Hey, I got to mention this. On TNstud.com, that's the Stud's official website, TNstud.com, under Super Studcast, Super Studcast number six is in way more detail than what Ron just told it. It's called Japan 1983, Super Studcast number six. And then Super Studcast number seven is still more about Terry Funk and Stan Hansen on top of that. So, that's a, that's one of the stories I'll never forget. It's fun to hear you tell it again. So I- any other stories? What else you got? Well, you know, then the, probably a week later, they did this thing in the in the in the airport. And uh, they were in the lobby and a huge the thousands of thousands of Japanese there and going trying to catch the trains and whatever. And uh that since there was a bunch of us wrestlers sitting in that one area and Terry and junior, that's all it took to have a crowd. Well, they were there and uh, there was a mob of people. So all of a sudden, and I'd never seen him do this before. Uh, Terry says to junior, he goes, Hey, let's play the game, junior. Let's play the game. And uh, so, you know, I'm like, what, what are they talking about now? What are these guys going to do now? So uh, the, uh, Terry goes over to the wall. And uh, the, the big, uh, the big, uh, huge lobby in the in this in this. Uh, I think it was a train station. Actually, is a monster lobby. And uh, so Junior then looks around for the little Japanese people, and then he picks somebody out, and he goes and gets them, and he brings them up uh, about uh, twenty feet away from uh, where Terry is by the wall, and uh, and he tells Terry, to, you know, draw the circle on the wall. You know, he speaks English, but the Japanese don't know what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So Terry mm-hmm. draws this imaginary circle with his finger on the wall, and uh, Junior then. Uh, takes the person that's standing there, the Japanese, and he puts their hand over their eyes so that they can't see. And, uh, and he says, stick your hand out and basically go over there and try to stick your finger in the imaginary circle. <laughs> well, you know, they walk across there and they did, you know, and obviously they don't, they don't get the, they, they don't hit the circle for it, but, uh, you know, and the fans, uh, everybody there, you know, there's a little reaction. It's not much, you know. It's like a small little, oh, well, you know that. And then they're they 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 talking to each other, and they go, now you looking, you you see her, you see her. They're looking for somebody in particular, right? <laughs> I figured that out right away. <laughs> then they find another person. They bring them over. They do the routine. They don't they don't get the circle, the whole deal. And uh, then finally, the, about the third person. They pick out this little tiny Japanese woman. She got the little pad on her back. She's all bent over. She's so embarrassed, you know. And they bring her up there. Junior brings her up there. And Terry's at the wall. And uh, so he says, okay, Terry, uh, go ahead, (laughs) draw the circle. So Terry draws a little imaginary circle on the wall. Everybody's seen the gimmick now at this point, you know. And uh, and then... uh, Junior puts the little lady's hand over her eyes and he gets her hand out in front of her and then she starts walking. As soon as she starts walking, Terry drops his pants. 
<laughs> just pulls them right down over his butt cheeks, right? <laughs> He's got no underwear. And the building exploded. <laughs> the Japanese went crazy. And the little woman never stopped. She just kept walking in that direction. And she had her <laughs> finger pointed then, you know. And, and boy, me and, me and Barry... Everybody in the everybody in the building. I mean, everybody that saw it, but it was, they were all going crazy. <laughs> and the closer she got, she was aiming. She was going to hit his. It was going to be a good place for her finger to be. <laughs> and so when she got there, she actually touched his big fat butt, <laughs> and then she stopped, and then she dropped her head. And oh, when she dropped her hand, the part the crowd popped again. Though no, she went and covered her face, she was so embarrassed. I mean, so that was that was the kind of crazy stuff they did, man, to keep you. And it, you had to have that in Japan because it was so hard to go over there and to deal with not being able to eat American food and not not being able to uh, to speak to anybody. It, it was tough. Tough working in Japan. Well, I've heard you talk about Terry a lot, and you guys became really good friends, and you can tell the relationship was was definitely there. See, can you remember in Super Stuckcast number seven, you actually talked to Terry? Have you got Terry telling stories on the on Super Stuckcast number seven? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Terry's telling stories. He actually is on there with uh, with the part of it is with uh, Hanson. Yes, Stan, Stan Hansen. Yes, yes. Live. And, you know, and uh, and Terry trains Stan Hansen. So you, so you got the two of them on the phone at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty amazing. I mean, amazing stuff. Great stuff. It's, uh, you know, that's classic. No, I don't know where anybody will ever be able to find that type of stuff again. It's, wow. It's, it's, and that number seven. And then number six is mostly about the entire, and the entire uh, trip to Japan, you know. But, uh, so yeah, but do you know, and I, and I think I said, you know, I kind of said earlier, Dave, that they were kind of like uh, movie stars, Terry, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Junior yeah. and Terry and, uh, Terry, you know, and that, and that kind of fit really good because Terry had already become a movie star back in the States at this time. Yeah. Yeah. You know? He'd been in movies, right? He'd already done a part in the movie Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Yep. Uh, he did, I think, uh, one called Hell's Kitchen with Sylvester Stallone. Yep. And uh, and on this tour, he was he had a part coming up when he got back to the states after the tour was over, in Rhinestone Cowboy, where he is supposed to be singing a song. Hmm. So Terry carried his guitar with him everywhere, <laughs> on this trip, every train trip, <laughs> every every plane, he had his guitar and he was practicing his song. <laughs> All right, I don't remember him being in Rhinestone Cowboy. Did he? Did he sing? Did he, what, what was what was he doing in what was he doing in the movie? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, he it turned out that he didn't get to sing his song, man. <laughs> That's why he didn't get to end up in the movie. Okay. okay. So, wow. Well, you know, and then uh, so I, I'll tell you what happened, and this is kind of tied in with what I just told the little game they played with the with him dropping his pants and everything, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I was in a hotel. This was toward the end of the tour. And, uh, and these hotels are really nice in Japan. You got the, they got little doorbells on every door, hotel doors, 
you know, ding, ding, ding. So, you know, they don't, they don't come in on you. And, uh, and uh, so uh, uh, somebody came to my door and you no, know, it was late. It was probably two or three in the morning and, uh, and ding, 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 ding. And I was like, you know, and I, I was like, well, what the heck? They can't be coming to make up the bed. What are they doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I didn't even get out of bed. I said, go on. No, no. Right. Uh-huh. Go. Right. And ding, ding. And then he heard this little voice out there. Only one of me. She sound like a little <laughs> Japanese girl. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like. Go away, go away. Ding, 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 ding. You know, so finally I get up and I go over and I open the door and it's Terry. There you go. (laughs) And he's got two six packs of beer. And he goes, Ron, can I come in? He's all depressed. He's got got tears in his eyes. Ron, I got some bad news. And so. I go, Derek, what happened, man? Did somebody in your family hurt or what? And he goes, no, no. He goes, Ron, he goes, you know, uh, I, I got fired from the movie. <laughs> and I, and I, said, I said, well, why? Why did they fire you, Terry? I mean, you got your song. You've been working on it and everything. I mean, I, you're going to be a big star in this. Mm-hmm. You know, and he goes, yeah, I thought I was too, you know. And I said, well, what did you do? You must have done something wrong. And he said, Ron, he goes, uh, well, he goes, maybe, you know, he said, uh, well, we were all, you know, all together, the whole cast and everything. And uh, they were talking about what they're going to do here and what they're going to do there. And he goes, and there was a little lull in the action and everything. And he said, mm-hmm. I thought I got this stuff. I did the me and juniors little <laughs> drop your pants deal. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> in front of all the crew, right? And I go, no. <laughs> I said, Terry, are you serious? And he goes, he goes, yeah, but the worst part, Ron, he goes, the director, is, the director's the guy that we had over with his hand over his eyes. <laughs> So, oh my God. Uh, he had made a fool out of the director of the, of the movie, and obviously he lost his shot at, at being in the uh, Rhinestone Cowboy. <laughs> wow. But, uh, that was typical Terry stuff. Wow. So it was the last night of the tour, basically. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, Ric Flair came, came to Tokyo for one show, one match, right? Flew him to Tokyo for one match. Uh, and uh, after the match was over, me and Flair, uh, Dory Jr. and Terry, we went out after matches to uh, a section of uh, and in Japan in Tokyo there called Rapongi, which is like a nightclub section. Uh, and uh, so uh, <laughs> we we had a little party, man. So the four of you are out in Tokyo. Yeah. 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 Okay. Rapongi. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so what happened in like in the nightclub deal? What was that like? Well, it was in the wintertime, right? So uh, Flair shows up. Uh, he's got a cashmere top coat, man. Right. And jeez, I <laughs> what he paid for it, you know. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty nice, and uh, you know. Uh, so uh, and and so when we went into this one club, uh, we sat down, the four of us, same table and everything. Uh, and uh, everybody in there knows him. 
right? They, they, all, they reckon, oh, yeah, they're the pointing over there and the whole deal. And, uh, and then, uh, so, so, so <laughs> one of the singers, they got a band up there on a the stage. And one of the singers in the band comes down and he asks them to come up on the stage. Right? right. I want to introduce him. Harry right. Jr., right? Yeah. Right? And so they get up there, and then instead of them leaving the stage, Terry says, uh, Junior, <laughs> he's talking real loud. He goes, Junior, uh, let's sing for him. Let's sing for him. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they, they start singing Home, Home on the Range. <laughs> <laughs> One of those old slow Western songs, right? And then the Japanese start, oh, they're just loving it. They're just clapping. They're like crazy. They love it. Then, then, and then they try to get them to, come on now, everybody, home, home. <laughs> so, so then uh, they finally come off the stage. And once they come off the stage, then the junior and the flares talking, talking business, you know, that he's working in Japan. He's come there for, you know, and they, they're actually having a business conversation. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Terry grabs flares, cashmere <laughs> top coat. Uh -oh. And he, he goes, uh, they've got these huge speakers that are eight, 10, 12 feet tall, different heights. And, uh, he goes up on top of, climbs up on top of one of the speakers and he's got flares top coat and he's, <laughs> Swinging it around and around in circles, and then when it goes down to the bottom, to where his feet is, it just can, catches all the dirt. You can see the dust that's flying off. <laughs> <laughs> He's dancing up there, and uh, everybody in the place is going crazy. And uh, I, I, I give a, I give a flare a little pop on the shoulder. I said, "Check him out." And he goes, <laughs> oh, right, that's my brand new coat. So uh, it is the typical type of deal, man. Uh, when we left out of there, we on our way back, probably three, four, I don't know what time it was in the morning, we end up at this little uh, cafeteria-like thing, a little small diner. And uh, the doors had a pad. When you stepped on them, the doors would go, they'd make a noise like that, and they'd open back, back and let you in, right? Right. And so... Uh, so Terry's in the front, in the front of the line, and so when we step on the pad, the doors open, and 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 Terry, everybody in the place looks, and Terry steps inside, and he goes, he throws his hands up in the air, and he goes, hey, like that, right? <laughs> and so everybody in the place goes, hey, back, right? So then while we're there, the whole time we're there, every time somebody comes in or leaves, then that was the deal. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> throw your hands up. Hey, hey. <laughs> so, wow. It was just a, it was a real blast being with those dudes, man. I got to, I got to ask again at tnstud.com about, about, and I think it's number seven, super stud cast number seven, Terry Funk and Stan Hansen. Tell me again. So you had both of them on the phone. This has been a few years ago, but this had to be some really fun stuff. Oh, man, it was unbelievable. And uh, I wasn't aware when we set the deal up to record it that they had had a little problem with each other. You know, the, the two so, of them. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 had had something had gone on bad between them. And uh, mm -hmm. so Stan did the first part of the 
the broadcast with me. And then I was going to bring uh, Terry on to do the last part. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, I got Stan here and I got Terry here. Gosh, and Terry trained Stan. You know, I, I'm, let's get them both on. So we got them both on. And once, once uh, Terry found out that he was talking to Stan, yeah. he was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you know? It was like, and they, it was, it was an odd little moment. <laughs> so they had like a personal, a personal beef between the two of some yeah, kind. Yeah, yeah, they had a personal beef between the two of them. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, Terry was saying, I'll kick your head. It uh, started to get a little bit of house, like, okay, guys. <laughs> Not an awkward moment at all. And yeah, listen, it was a little bit of an awkward moment. To say yeah. You can check it out at tnstud.com, tnstud.com, super, under, stud, under Super Studcast, Super Studcast number seven, Terry Funk and Stan Hansen. It's only two ninety nine. All right. Anything more that you want to add, Stud? This has been a ton of fun. Well, man, I, you know, I could talk all day, man. Uh, and I never run out of great things to say about Terry. Uh, well, there was, there was nothing like him. Uh, you know, he could do it all. Uh, he made these classic interviews uh, in the Florida days with Dusty Rhodes. And, uh, and he used to call Dusty an egg-sucking dog. And he'd he wear these T-shirts into the territory, wear them into the ring uh, with this stuff on him about Dusty being an egg-sucking dog. And, uh, you know, uh, he, was a, he was just a tremendous character. Uh, he could do it all, man. Uh, he could have a classic match. Uh, wow, he could have a hardcore barbed wire match. You know, uh, I saw him do moon salts uh, off of calcium balconies, man, on the concrete. You know, uh, he just gave his body and his soul to the sport, man. And uh, and in the end, like a lot of great wrestlers that uh, that go too far, uh, he paid an awful price for it. Uh, you know, uh, before, his, before his death, and uh, you know, and 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 basically, I have to say this: uh, I, I had the the pleasure and the honor, man, to talk to him. Uh, basically, about uh, the three months, three or four months uh, ago, and uh, I had a chance to to speak with him, and uh, you know, he'd been out there in that uh, in that hospital in that home there for a couple of years. And uh, it didn't sound good, but gosh, he still made me laugh. I mean, we still laughed and had a good time. And uh, there'll never be another Terry Funk, you know, and he is and always will be, to me, an American hero. And and he was an unforgettable force in the ring and an absolute credit to the sport. 